pray. Lord God, as we come now to open your word, you, we hear you speak to us in the pages of Holy Scripture. And Lord, we pray that you would give success to your word here today. That you would bring salvation to those who need it. And oh God, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts by your Holy Spirit to understand what you say to us here today. For without your Spirit, we, un- we do not understand anything you speak. And so we humbly implore you, oh God, to give us understanding Give us a hearing that we would see you this morning and the Lord Jesus as the God of all comfort. And that you would comfort those who are suffering and in affliction. Bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians 1, we'll begin at verse 3 and read through verse 11. Hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. But we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. 
You may be seated. Uh, Sunday morning, we began looking at Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and we looked at verses 1 and 2, a typical introduction by Paul. Paul reminded the church in Corinth of his authority. Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul wrote to the church of God that is at Corinth. Again, the church of God at Corinth was a a church with many problems. Paul dealt with those many problems in his first letter. And now he's going to deal with many theological issues in the second. And he reminded them of grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now Paul continues on with his introduction. And for the next few weeks he will be giving some biographical information concerning himself that the church needed to know. In our text this morning, Paul speaks of suffering and how God is the God of all comforts. In this section before us, Paul stresses the concept of of comfort. This is the most eloquent passage on comfort in the entire New Testament. And so Paul tells us where comfort comes from. It comes from God the Father. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever his children experience sufferings and hardships, God has great compassion on us. Now we know Christians do and will experience sufferings and hardships and afflictions in this life. Now maybe you thought when you became a believer in Christ, all of your hardships would go away. There are those who teach that. There are those who who teach that if you just have faith in Jesus, you will no longer have any more suffering if your faith is great enough. Well, that is not a a biblical teaching. We do not believe it. We do not hold to it. Uh, Because we see in Scripture, as Paul reminds us of his own sufferings, that the people of God, they, they suffer. We suffer in this life. We go through great afflictions. We pray that God would take away those sufferings and hardships. But if He doesn't, then this does not mean that we do not have enough faith. Some of the greatest Christians in, in church history, they have greatly suffered in their lives and for the kingdom of Christ. And we are no different. We will have hardship, we will have suffering, but when we suffer, Paul reminds us that our God is the God of all comfort. And so there are two things I want us to see. And the first are in verses, uh, the first is in verses three through seven, as Paul speaks to us about distress and how God is the God of all comfort. In verse three, Paul says, Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the first four words, blessed be the God, is a typical Jewish 
a benediction. But Paul here, he goes beyond that. And he links that Jewish benediction with the Christian formula, formula of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what is Paul saying? He's saying that God is the Father and the Son. And we know also the Spirit. As one commentator states, the, for Jesus is in His human nature is God. For Jesus in His deity in his deity, God is His Father. His God since the Incarnation. His Father from all eternity. And so Paul is again showing us that both God the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are equal. And we know that all three persons of the Godhead are equal. They're the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And so Paul reminds us of that most important doctrine and it is through Jesus that we may freely address God as God our Father. But then he says that, not only is blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts. When we think of mercy, we think of compassion. And what is that compassion? Well, it is God's love that seeks out, that extends to, and transforms the sinner. Christian, that is your message to this fallen world. The God whom we worship, the God whom we know, the God whom we love, that He has compassion on sinners. And we understand and see that passion in and through the work of Christ, out of compassion flows the comforting love of God. And so God is the God of all comfort. And this means that God is always ready to comfort those who call on Him. God is not sitting in heaven today, wringing His hands, wondering who may call upon Him through Christ this morning. He knows. He's chosen them. And when they call on Him, He will comfort them. You know, the first, the first part of our salvation in Christ is to what? To recognize our depravity. And, and we are totally depraved. If you do not believe in total depravity, you do not believe the gospel. If we believe somehow we can earn our way to heaven, that somehow we are just good enough to earn our way, that we have not been totally depraved by the first fall of our parents, that every part of our being, you see, is affected by the fall. Our mind, our heart, our spirit. There's nothing good in us apart from Christ. Nothing. If we don't understand that, then we don't understand grace. And then we don't understand the comfort that God gives to those who by the Spirit of God is enlightened to that fact that they are depraved, dead in sins and trespasses, can do nothing to save themselves. Nothing. And then what does God do? He comes with His comfort. Doesn't He? He shows us our sin. He shows us how dead and depraved we are apart from Christ. And then He comforts us with the message of the Gospel. And He comforts us with His love. And He says to us, Come to My Son 
and be saved. And then by His grace we do that and we're comforted. And then we understand that comfort, don't we? Look at verse 4. Paul says, Who comforts us in all of our afflictions that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We are saved, we are redeemed, and, and then comes affliction and suffering. But as a believer, we look at that affliction and suffering differently, don't we? In our unbelief, we probably looked at that affliction and suffering if we even believed in a God as punishment. God is punishing you. And as an unbeliever, He does punish them in this life many times. And He also gives them much more than they deserve in this life. But when affliction comes to us, we know that it comes from the God who loves us and the God who comforts us in our affliction, as Paul says, in all of our affliction. Now Paul here is speaking in the first person plural, and it tells us that Paul is speaking primarily about himself, but he also speaks of all who suffer. God will comfort all of us in whatever affliction we are experiencing. Have you ever asked God, why have you sent this to me? Well, Paul gives us the answer. One reason God sends to us afflictions and sufferings is so that we then can help others. That we can help those who are, who are in affliction. God comforts us so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, if anyone could sympathize with Christians who are suffering hardships and afflictions, it was Paul. Now, he's going to remind us of some of that later in, in our text. But Paul could extend comfort to others as he suffered many afflictions. Paul knew well of affliction, and so he could comfort others. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to comfort one another in our afflictions. And he continues in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so Christ, or through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Now how are we to take or interpret the phrase, sufferings of Christ? Well, there's two ways, subjectively or objectively. Subjectively, it means that it refers to the sufferings of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross. Objectively, these are the, the sufferings that Christ's followers undergo for His church and kingdom. And, and this is how it's to be interpreted. Christian, you'll never go through what Christ went through in the Garden of Gethsemane or the cross. But we are called to bear our cross. And that means we will suffer for Him. We will suffer for the church. We will suffer for His kingdom. And so Paul here in verse 5 connects God the Father in Christ. And not only is God the Father the source of all comfort, but so is God the Son. Now Paul doesn't mention the Spirit, but we know as well the Spirit is the God of all comfort. They all three who make up one God. They're the God of all comforts. 
And in verse 6, Paul reminds us why we are afflicted. We are afflicted for our comfort and salvation. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, says Paul. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Now Paul is not only speaking of his sufferings, but those who are with him. Many times not only would Paul suffer for the sake of Christ and the gospel, but his entourage would suffer. We know that they all suffered equally, not equally, but together for the sake of Christ. And he says, we are afflicted for your comfort, for the Corinthians' comfort uh, and salvation. Now we need to understand that Paul is not teaching here that his suffering or the suffering of those with him, whether in Corinth or elsewhere, has earned salvation for the Corinthians. He doesn't want them to to think that, and neither should we. You do not earn your salvation by what you suffer. Your salvation has already been earned by Christ, and you suffer because you are connected to Christ. Christ's death alone is sufficient to save sinners. But when God comforts us in our afflictions, He's doing something. He's working in us patient endurance for the same sufferings that we suffer. And then Paul looks to the future in verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Paul here expresses a hope that is steadfast. Paul hopes unwaveringly that the reader's uh, that, will, that they will be able to sustain the pressures that will arise from living the Christian faith. And he realizes that the Lord, who began His good work in the Corinthians, that He will never forsake His own. And Christian, the same is applied to us. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Now that is good news to me because I cannot bring it to completion and neither can you, but God can The God who has saved you, the God who has redeemed you, will complete that work. Now the Corinthians, they will not share all of Paul's sufferings, but they will have, with Paul, will share in distress, as Christians do. You know, we remind ourselves of the persecuted church often on Sunday mornings. And there are Christians today that are suffering. Much greater than we are. Now one day suffering like that may come to us. We, we see some warning signs, but we, we are not God. We do not know all that He will do. But if that suffering for the sake of Christ does come, and, and Christ... It's pretty clear, isn't he? If you follow me, you're going to have hardships, afflictions. You're going to suffer in this life. But we're to be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. And you see, when suffering comes, we know that God will comfort us in the midst of that suffering. And he will eventually bring us out of that suffering, even if it means bringing us out in death. He will bring us out. And then there's a second thing that I want us to focus on, and Paul focuses on, and that is God's deliverance 
and the gratitude that Paul had for that deliverance. Now here Paul starts to speak of some of the the perils that he faced. Verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, we do not know exactly what afflictions that Paul is referring to, for we know that Paul suffered much for the sake of Christ. But we do know as well that there were times where, where Paul would go. And, and where would he begin his ministry? He would begin it in the synagogue, wouldn't he? And then we know that there were times where those in the synagogue, they didn't like to hear what Paul said. And so they, they would drag Paul uh, into various local synagogues to stand trial before Jewish courts. Uh, later in this book, Paul will tell us of, of something. He will tell us that Paul received the prescribed 39 lashes from the Jews. But the Gentiles also got into the fun because from Roman authorities, Paul was beaten with a rod three times. But whatever afflictions that Paul is referring to, they were serious afflictions. They despaired of life. Paul despaired of his life. Those who were with him, they, they despaired for, for their life. And, and what that means is that Paul really expected that his earthly life would come to an end. That at any moment he could die. Now he knew he would go to be with Christ. But if God did not intervene, then, then he would die. Now, Paul was on the verge of death, but he did not die. Verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, God sends sufferings to us so that we might comfort others. Here Paul gives us another reason why God sends afflictions and sufferings, great afflictions and sufferings in this life. Did you catch what the second reason is? So that we will not rely on ourselves, but on God. Our tendency is to rely on ourselves. We think we're strong enough to handle whatever may be sent to us. And, and Paul is reminding us, oh, God sends the affli- these afflictions and sufferings so that you will stop relying on yourself. And that we will put all of our trust in God. Now in verse 9, he he speaks of the God who raises the dead. And so this deliverance that Paul is speaking of uh, provided uh, for Paul a, a type of resurrection. And Paul being a, a Jewish Christian, you know, Paul was a, a Jew first, a Pharisee. In his mind, he's probably referencing another type of resurrection that we find in the Old Testament. Do you remember back in the book of Genesis? God gave Abraham a command. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac. Go up on the mountain and sacrifice him. 
So Abraham and Isaac, they set out and had a group of men with them. And you know, you know what, you remember what Abraham said to them. He said, the, the, the boy and I, the lad and I will go up yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, only Abraham knew what he was about to do. Isaac didn't know. Isaac didn't know until Abraham put him on the altar and fastened him to it. The men didn't know. And so what was Abraham saying? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews eleven nineteen that Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And this same type of thought of figuratively speaking, Paul has been raised from the dead for he knew he would die. But God delivered. Verse 10, He delivered us from such a, a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul is saying, yes, we've been through many afflictions and there will be more. And the same God who is the God of all comfort who delivered us previously will deliver us again. Paul's trust in God is so great that he knows God will deliver him again from predicaments that seem fatal. He closes out our text in verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf of the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul is asking for the church to pray. Why? Because God uses the prayers of His people. God uses the prayers, to, our prayers to accomplish His decrees. You realize that every time you pray to God, God is using that prayer to accomplish what He foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Our prayers are, God are using our prayers to accomplish His will in this world. That's why we pray. And Paul says that he needs the church to pray so that not only will he give thanks, but that many will give thanks on, on their behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The prayers of the Corinthians would lead to the thanksgiving on behalf of Paul and those with him, for again, God uses the prayers of his people to bless those who are prayed for. And so what application can we make? Well, the first is this. Just off that last verse we looked at, and we see the importance of, of prayer and for us to be a praying church and a praying people. We are to be praying for one another. And we're to be praying for those whom we do not even know. We're to be praying for those Christians who are in mortal danger even today. That the Lord would deliver them. Now how can we pray? Well, we, we pray on most Wednesday nights. Let me encourage you to come out. But if you can't. On most Wednesday nights, we have a prayer meeting before it. This past week, we had a Bible study, so you won't see a prayer list. But next week, you will. 
Let me encourage you to pick one up if you can't come on Wednesday evenings and be praying over that list. Even if you don't know the names, God knows. Even if you don't know what's going on, God knows. And during the week, use that to pray. God will use our prayers. Again, it was asked of Charles Spurgeon one time when did, how he got all of the power he had in preaching and it was an early Lord's Day morning. He takes the person down and in the boiler room of the church there was a group of people praying. And he says, it's from, from them I get the power for preaching. And so be praying. Pray for the preached word. Pray that God would bless the word as it goes forth on on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. And, and God will use that. God uses our prayers to rescue believers uh, who are suffering for the sake of Christ. And second, God will use our afflictions to make us totally dependent upon Him. That's probably the hardest thing in this Christian life, to be totally dependent upon God because it goes against our human nature. Now we have a new nature in Christ, right? And we needed that new nature. Without that new nature, we, we never would, would call out to God and rely upon Him for anyone. But as, as, as one commentator said, one is truly a, a spiritual giant when one relies totally on God. This is the consequence of true faith. Intimate communion with the Lord and continuous prayer offered to God by oneself and fellows and fellow believers. And so if you want to be a true spiritual giant, you are to rely totally on God. We are to stop relying on self. Now Jesus put it another way, did he not deny yourself? We are not to deny ourselves. We are to deny ourselves. We are to rely upon the Lord. And, and God sends afflictions to us from time to time to show us that, that we are not relying upon Him as we ought. That we are really loving this world more than we love Him. And He's trying to awaken us out of our spiritual slumber, isn't He? And He's gracious to do that. Third, Christians, again, we will go through afflictions in this life. Sometimes great affliction. But God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of our comfort. In times of affliction, trust in God. That's all we can do. Trust in the God who has saved us. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be comforted. And not only will you be comforted, but you will have a renewed hope. For that hope that we have goes beyond this life to the life that is to come. That is our hope. Our hope is in the life that will come at the last day. But as God sends these afflictions to us, as He sends them, whether they be physical afflictions or, or whether we suffer and are persecuted for the sake of Christ, then God will use those so that we in turn will be able to comfort others who go through afflictions. 
Now this tells us something. We are to be about one another's business. Again, the communion of the saints. We're to know what's going on in each other's lives. If you need to be prayed for, then tell us. I I cannot read your mind or your heart. And really, if something's going on, I should be the first to know, not the last. So I can be praying for you. So that we can then pray for one another. And then finally, the only way to be comforted by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is if we have come to totally depend on Christ for our salvation. We're not to be depending upon our own strength, our goodness, because we're only good in Christ. You know, we're not to be depending upon any work to be saved. We're to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Because you cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself, and I'm glad, because if it was up to me, I would still be lost. I would still be dead in sins and trespasses. I, I, I still wouldn't know of the saving grace of God in and through the Lord Jesus. And so that is how we are comforted as we come to Christ and we totally depend upon Him for salvation. That is how we are comforted in this life. And so have you done that? Are you totally dependent upon Jesus? Do you recognize that the only reason this morning that you are a Christian is because, first of all, God loved you from before the foundation of the world and chose you. And then in his timing, you heard the word of God proclaimed and God used that word in his spirit to change your heart. We call that regeneration. And at that very moment in time, you heard the words of Christ in a fresh and new way that you had never heard before. And the gospel call was given. And then and only then could you respond to that call and fall at the feet of Jesus and be saved. You see, it's God's work, not yours. That's what it means to totally rely upon Jesus. You fall at His feet and you say simply, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Save me. If you do that in faith, the faith that God gives you as He gives you a new heart, and you turn from your sin, Jesus will save you. And then you will understand of the comfort of God as Paul knew it, as we all know it who are in Christ. And so God is gracious to sinners. He brings comfort and mercy to sinners. And so all you need to do is is fly to Christ, to come to Christ in faith, and repentance, and then you will be able to say with Paul, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. May God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word as we always do. For it is in your word that we have your mind and the mind of Christ. 
Now, Lord God, I pray now that you would take the preached word by your spirit. You would apply it to hearts that are at this moment far from you. You would change them and show them their, their need of Christ. And you would bring them out of the pit and save them. Bring them spiritual comfort and salvation. So that in times of physical discomfort and affliction and hardships. They may know of your comfort and goodness and mercy. And O Lord God in the hour of our trials may we look to Christ. And be reminded of what he has suffered on, on our behalf. And when you call us to suffer for him. May we joyfully do it. And pray this in His name. Amen.